Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church Podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. If you got your Bibles, turn the book of Isaiah. We are going to be, uh, we'll ultimately get into it. Uh, right now, where we're in chapter 10, we're going to start with verse 16. In our culture, in most of our churches today, many of our churches today, one of the one of the important questions that we have to ask when somebody, when we ask somebody, do you know Jesus? Do you believe in Christ? Are you are you, are you saved? However you want to say it, one of the one of the most important questions that we have to ask after that is, who is Jesus to you? Now that seems like a kind of a strange question to ask somebody, but the reality is, is that many today don't really know who Jesus is. They, they claim that they're a believer. They claim that, they, that they're a Christian. But Jesus is not, you may not recognize the Jesus that they talk about. That's the problem in our culture today. And what's interesting is that Jesus himself asked that question of his disciples. We see that in Mark 8, 27. He says, and Jesus went with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. So Jesus is walking around. He's visiting the villages that he's, he's going to be preaching in. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say I am? See, the, 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 the reason why that question is so important is because our perception of who Jesus is are, is, is in reality who we say God is. And it's integral to our Christian lives. If we say that Jesus was just this good teacher, and he was, he was a prophet, he was a good man, it will make a big difference. Our lives will be different than if we say Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins, rose again, and is coming back. So what we say, who Jesus is to us, who we say Jesus is, is so important and what we need to do, we, we, we need to look at how the disciples answered that question. Because they answered him, when, they, when he asked, asked them, who do the people say? I mean, they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say a prophet. You know, they had many answers from many different people. And then he asked them the big question. He says, who do you say that I am? And amazingly, Peter, who usually ends up with his foot in his mouth, says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, the secret to who we really are, the key to our future, is not in our own self-image. The world will tell you today that you just, you just need to have a positive self-image. You, you, you're good inside. You're, you know, we all have a little piece of Jesus. This is what they say. A little piece of Jesus in us. And you just got to find that inner self. And you can have your best life now if you just do that. That's all heresy. Because the most important thing in our life, in our about our future, is not our self-image, but our God image. See, you and I, we were, we, we were created in the image of God, yes. But how do we view God? How do we view Christ? The greatest tool we have to mold our God image is the gospel. This, 
this book here is what we use in order to mold how we think about God, what we think about God. Now, Jesus himself was God in the flesh. He, he told Philip, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. We know that, that Jesus and God are one, and the Holy Spirit, all three are one. So if we, if we can see Jesus, if we learn about Jesus, we'll know who God is. And that'll increase our God image. It'll make our, the image that we have of who God is, it'll enhance it. See, what the gospel does is the gospel exposes us. And we've been, you know, yeah, I know Isaiah, we don't think about Isaiah as part of the gospel, but when I say gospel, I mean like the whole book of the Bible. Isaiah is actually gospel because it's talking, it's showing us who God is. It's good news. It, it, it exposes, as we saw, it exposes us to the wrath of God. We even see it in the gospels, in the four gospels. We see that Jesus was crucified on the cross. That was the wrath of God being shown to us. And in the same way, the grace of God is shown to us in the gospel. Jesus Christ being on the cross was God showing his grace to us. And it's that grace of God that we put our hope in. Now, most people will define hope as wishful thinking. But this is how, not how the gospel describes hope. See, what... what the scripture will teach us is that if we have hope, our hope is actually confident expectation. I'm confident this is going to happen. Believe me, there are a lot of things in this world I'm not confident about. There's a lot of people in this world I'm extremely not confident in. Mainly being myself at times. But it's, it's confident expectations. In Romans, Paul says, Romans 8, 24, he says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope is that, that hope that is seen is not hope. That's not hope. For who helps for what he sees? I don't have to hope for it. I, I see it. It's there. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. There are times my patience is running out. I want God to move now. But God is doing it in his own time. See, our hope is fundamental to our life in Christ. If we have no hope, we're lost. Our lives don't have any meaning. There's no hope in death. You know, Paul's, you know, we don't we don't weep like those who are lost when somebody dies. Why? Because we have the hope, the assured, we know, the, ex, the confident expectation that, number one, they, as a believer, will be with Christ, and one day he's going to come back, and we'll be all together again. That's why we don't mourn like others. We mourn, believe me, but we don't mourn like the unsaved. Because of that, because of the hope we have in Christ. If we put our trustful hope in God, we'll have confidence in God's protection. And his help. That doesn't mean that God's going to keep us from every little stumbling block that is in front of us. He's not going to keep us from having a hard life. That's the other, the other heresy that the churches are teaching today, is that you know, if you just have enough faith, God will take care of all your problems. You won't have to worry about anything. It's a lie. God will get us through it. Well, it says in Scripture, you know, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's not what it means. That's not what it says. 
the whole context of it is that God will never give you more than you can handle with his help. If you try to do it on your own, you're not going to be able to handle it. So we have to have this hope in Christ and in his protection and his help. And, and we can be fear, free from fear and anxiety. In Psalm 46, it says, Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and a foam, and through the mountains tremble, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Don't you feel like that's your life sometimes? I mean, not physically, your mountains moving in front of you, but we feel that that's our life. But we don't have to have fear in that and anxiety about it. Why? Because we have Christ. There's no fear anymore. We shouldn't fear those things. Now, we've explored the day of the Lord. We've talked about the wrath of God over the last few weeks. And while these, at times, these, these topics seem kind of dark and disconcerting, the reality is that if we put our hope in Christ, we have nothing to fear about the wrath of God or nothing to fear about the day of the Lord. In fact, we have reasons to rejoice about the wrath of God and to rejoice about the fear of the Lord. Why? Because our hope is in Christ. Jesus says, and John, he tells us, he says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, if I leave you and I'm going, I'm going to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. He's not gone and just leaving us to do in the lurch, just, you know, with no help. He's going, he's gone to prepare a place for us. And when it's ready, he's going to come get us. He's bending all of his thoughts, all of his might, all of his will on our behalf to prepare a place for us. Yeah, he's God. He could do it like that, but he's preparing it. It's not ready yet, by the way. If it was, we wouldn't be here. If you study, um, if you study the Jewish marriage rituals, you'll know that the only person who knows when it's ready is the Father. In fact, Jesus even said so. Only the Father knows, not the angels, and not even the Son knows when I'm coming back because only the Father knows when it's ready. I have a lot of projects around the house, and most of them are halfway done. I'm like, when is this going to be done? You know, It'll be done when it's done. The Father, me, I have no idea. <laughs> Whenever I can get to it. <laughs> but God the Father knows when it's time, and he's going to send his son back to get us. Isaiah is going to turn now our attention to what God and Jesus is preparing for us. Let's go to Isaiah 10, starting at verse 16. He says, therefore, the Lord God of hosts will send wasting sickness amongst his stout warriors. He's talking about, he's talking about the armies that are going to be attacking. He's talking about the armies of the world, the armies of man. This is what we're going to see here. We're going to see a double reflection. We're going to see what was going on in Isaiah's time. And we also see a, a projection to the future when there's going to be a future war. He'll send wasting sickness among his stout warriors, and under his glory a burning will be kindled, like the burning of fire. And then he switches to this. The light of Israel will become a fire, and his holy one a flame, and it will burn and devour his thorns and briars in one day. The glory of his forest and his fruitful land the Lord will destroy, both soul and body, and it will be as when a sick man wastes away. The remnant of the trees of his forest will be so few that the child can write them down. You see, 
first of all, God's going to step into history. He stepped into history many times. But there's coming a day when he will permanent, he'll step into history and it will change everything going forward. But at this time, he's stepping into the history, what's going on in, in Israel and in, in Judah, and he's going to step in and the Assyrian army is going to be no more. And what we get is this, we get this image of a consuming fire. So what Isaiah has done is he's, you know, the focus has always been on this army. The people are focusing on the army, just like you and I. We focus on all our problems in the world today. And instead, we need, we need to lay our focus on Christ. We need, still need to deal with our issues, but we need to focus on Christ first. Isaiah shines this prophetic light on God himself. And the first description we see of him is this, this Lord God of hosts. God is Lord over the armies of heaven. In Revelation 19, we see that the king of glory, who commands the armies of heaven, will eventually defeat all his enemies. All his enemies in the world will be defeated by the king of glory. And this king of glory is none other than Jesus Christ. It's interesting because this, this next description that we're going to see in Isaiah, Isaiah is, uh, that's used for God, these next ones are the light of the Gospels. And that is a description of Jesus Christ. The light of Israel and His Holy One. In verse 17. In verse 20, Isaiah will use the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. In verse 21, he uses the Mighty God. In verse 26, he says the Lord of hosts and the Majestic One. He uses the, the metaphors earlier of sickness and then of fire to give us this good description of how utterly God is going to destroy his enemies. How utterly he's going to destroy a Syrian army, but also in our future, how he's going to destroy his enemies. Wasting sickness and then fi consuming fire. Now think about this. If God can use sickness to judge a wicked world, to judge the wicked in the world, really, and the same way he can use a consuming fire to devour them, I think that God has all the means possible that he needs to work out his perfect will. Don't, don't ever doubt that God can't do what God's will is. There's nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Beth and I were having a discussion last night about uh, in Mark where it says, you know, if you if you say if you believe and say to this mountain, go into the water, it will. And if you ask in prayer and believe, you'll get it. And so people have used that as a as a means of, well, if I have enough faith, I can get what I want, right? Well, the problem is we don't understand the context, we don't understand the language. You know that the and I, I just want to share this. Uh, it's not in my notes, but I wanted to share this today because it kind of fits where we're at. Do you know that to move a mountain was an idiom that was used by the Jews? Somebody who was a teacher, who could change the way you think by what they told you, was called a mountain mover. Jesus is using an idiom that they would understand. That if you have enough faith, you, you can move a mountain. Meaning that those issues you have in your mind can be moved. If you trust in God. 
the issues you have in your life can be moved. The trouble you have in your life, you can overcome it if you trust in God. And if you ask God for things in faith, he will give them to you. The problem is, I think today we just don't have enough faith. I just don't think we have enough faith. But it's okay, because I'm not planning on going out and moving any mountains anytime soon. But there are things in my life that I need to move, some thoughts that I don't need to have, and I need to trust God for it in prayer. I need to surrender it all to him. He can do it. He can move it. I can't. See, if we... If we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we should never be fearful of what the world has done, is doing, or is going to do. If we put our trust in Christ, we should never be fearful of what someone has done, is doing, or is going to do to us. Now, we don't just sit back and let them do it, but we don't have to fear it. It can be something small as thorns and briars or as large as a forest. It doesn't make a difference because the fire of God will consume it completely. He goes on to, in, in verse 10, or verse 20, I'm sorry, of chapter 10. He says, In that day the remnant of Israel and the survivors of the house of Jacob will no more lean on him who struck them, but will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. We'll no longer trust in everything else outside of ourselves all the things in this world. We'll no longer rely on ourselves even. So we have all these things in the world that we rely on and all these things inside of us that we rely on. We won't rely on those things anymore because we will trust in God alone. And we can do that now. We just don't. But we will lean on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God... For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. We've kind of seen that fulfilled. A remnant of Israel returned to Israel and is in Israel now. And then a remnant of Israel will actually believe in Christ in the end. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. For the Lord God of hosts will make a full end as decreed in the midst of all the earth. Understand, a remnant is a, a group or things that have been set apart. And what is happening is, God in his grace is going to purify a remnant. There will be those, there will be Jews who, who, who are Jewish and don't believe in Christ, who in the end will trust in Christ. Because believe me, there's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. Period. They have to believe in Christ in order to be saved. So they will. They will. And even those in the Old Testament, the Old Testament saints who died, they were believing and trusting in God and in the Messiah. They didn't know his name was Jesus Christ, but they knew he was the Messiah. But they've been set apart by grace. And they'll show that they have, that they are remnant by having real faith. They will trust God. In the Lord. They will lean on the Lord alone. They will not lean on their own understanding. They won't trust in horses or chariots. They will trust in the name of the Lord only. See, you and I have this great privilege. We could do that now. We could be just like the remnant, and we will be molded in with them if we are truly believers in Christ. See, there's this, this trend in the church today to kind of cozy up to ideas and trends and even emotions that attack the heart of our faith. 
Paul warned us. He warned the church in Corinth about this trend. It says, For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily, though. That's the church today. We put up with false gospels, false preachers, false teachers, false ideas. We're susceptible to false gospels. It have been from the start. It didn't just start now, it, back in the first century. Back at the time when Paul was planting churches. He'd plant a church, he'd leave, and false prophets would come in. False teachers would come in immediately. Constantly he was struggling and, and struggling with that. Paul says, he tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3, For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We have to ask ourselves, where do I get my security? What about my coping skills, my confidence for the future? There are, there are so many ideas and philosophies out there in this world telling us how we can, what you need to do now to have a good life and, and, and have a good life into the future, there's, especially now with the economy, you know, in the toilet. You know, there's a lot of people say, well, you need to buy gold. Oh, you need to do this. Oh, you need to do that. And some of those things may be valid. You may need to do that. But I'll trust in God more than anything. Everybody's vying for our, our attention. Many ideas and philosophies, they, they want our allegiance to them. And all these false ideas are nothing more than traps that will turn us, turn each other on each other and will bite us. It'll bite us. These worldly ideas, these philosophies, they abuse us. They sneer at us. They tempt us to do things we shouldn't do. And ultimately, they will abandon us. But Jesus will never betray us. You know, this, this world has a tendency to drag us down into disillusionment. We, we get disillusioned about our lives and about where we are. We get self-hatred. Emptiness. That's why the, the, the suicide rates have extremely, are extremely elevated right now because people are empty. They're disillusioned by life. They're self-hatred. We have to ask ourselves, what false savior are we leaning on? We need to be leaning on Christ, the only one. In verse 21 of Isaiah 10, we see that the remnant of God is marked by repentance. See, this word uh, return is a repentance thing. It says they were, the remnant will return. This is, a, this is a repentance type of word. They return to the Almighty God. They repent of where they were and what they were doing. It also, also holds these military undertones, this idea of mighty God is a military term. When we return to God, we're repenting of fighting our own battles, and now God is going to fight our battles for us. And I don't know about you, but I think God can handle my battles a lot better than I can. It doesn't mean that I don't fight with Him. But it means that I don't fight on my own strength. I fight in the power of God. God has promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the sands on the seashore. But we got to remember that God is no respecter of men. And God cares a little bit, little bit about race. He cares more about grace than He does race. 
The true people of God are not those who are, you know, true people of God are not those who are ethnically Jewish. You know, we like to trace our roots and, and oh yeah, I got this, I got Scandinavian in me or I got German in me and people say, yeah, I can tell. Um, but that doesn't matter to God. God chooses from all. He calls all. And he's going to pull together people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. The true people of God are those who have Abraham's faith and his repentance. Not just because of some ethnicity. Verse 24 says, Therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not be afraid of the Assyrians. When they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did, for in a very little while my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. His fury, by the way, is against Israel. That's going to end and he's going to turn it towards the Assyrians. And the Lord of hosts will wield against them a whip as when he struck the Midian at the rock of Oreb and his staff will be over the sea and he will lift it as he did in Egypt. And in that day his burden will depart from your shoulder and his yoke from your neck, and the yoke will be broken because of the fat. See, God had been using the Assyrians to discipline his people. I think that today God uses circumstances in our lives to discipline us, to train us, to lead us, to teach us. That's why we come back to this, this idea that, well, if I, just, if I just have enough faith, God will take away. Well, I know of someone who had extreme amount of faith, and he prayed three times for something to be removed from him, and God said no. Does that mean he didn't have enough faith? No, it means God was disciplining him. Paul had a thorn in his side. Something, something was really bothering him, enough that he prayed for it three times for God to take it away. So when you're having troubles in your life, and you pray one time, and God doesn't take it away, don't give up. Pray again. And pray again. And pray again. Keep praying until God gives you an answer. And his answer may be, my grace is sufficient. And you'll realize you have peace about what God is doing. He's teaching you. But he uses the Assyrians to discipline the Jews. But in his grace, God's going to work through these forces of evil. Then nothing can ever separate us from his love but it'll move us deeper. You know, we look at the world and, and people ask me, what do you think about what's going on in the world today? I'm, I'm like, it's downright evil. COVID was, was evil. It separated us from each other. That's, that's the whole purpose of Satan. What's going on in the world today is separating each other, separating families, it's separating nations, it's separating... Um, whole countries are getting separated. We're, we're making our own camps now. It's evil. But you know what? God still is on his throne and God is going to take care of it. None of this surprises him. It's not like he, he got off his throne one day and said, oh, I completely forgot about Ukraine. No. No. He knows. He's God. He's sovereign. And what seems impossible is possible with God. When Jesus was teaching his disciples about whether a rich man could enter the kingdom of heaven, you know, he says it's impossible with man but not so with God. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And he moves reality towards one way. Everything is moving towards the kingdom of God here on earth. That's where we're going. That's where Isaiah was going. 
And this is in verse 28. He begins to talk about what the what the military, what the Assyrians were doing. It says he he has come to Ayath, he has passed to Migron and Michmash. He stores his baggage there. He crossed over the pass at Geba, the lodge for the night. Ramah trembles. Gibeah of Saul has fled. Cry aloud, O daughter of Galam. Give attention, O Lasha, O poor Anathoth. Madmina is in flight. The inhabitants of Gibbon flee for safety. This very day, he will halt at Nob. He will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion, the hill of Jerusalem. All these things, all these things are happening in our world, this world. Evil is, is saying, you believe in God? Then why isn't God stepping into this world? Why is, it, why is God allowing this to happen? You'll get that question if you, some people, if you find out. Somebody says, you, do you believe in God? You say yes. Well, why, why is God allowing all these babies to die? Why is God allowing sicknesses, sickness to happen? Shaking their fist at God. Behold, verse 33, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great and height will be hewn down, and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with his axe, and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. God in his grace is going to bring Assyria to the end, and God in his grace is going to bring this world to an end. The Syrians were close. Step by step, they're hitting all these places. People are fleeing. Things are happening. But at the last moment, God will step in and cut them down. You know, we don't know the day that Christ is coming back. What we do know is that it'll be just—it'll seem like a normal day. People will be marrying and having children, and, and there'll be peace. Oh, there's so much peace. This is so wonderful. We finally got it. Instantly, God, Christ returns, and battles begin. The last moment. A day's coming when God's going to stop history dead in its tracks. He's going to get to the root of the problem. He's going to cut the cancer out. Which is the boast that I will force the world into a shape more to my liking, no matter what it costs. That's what we say. We say, you know, I, I think we want to I want to shape the world the way I want it. God says, No. No. The world says, I'm going to do this. God says, try it. It's mine. I will do it. That's what we're seeing in our world today. We see, we see things being shaped the way people want them to be. Countries being formed the way people want them to be. God sees human pride as a barrier to the way that it should be. He sees pride tearing people apart. But see, when Jesus came, he came in humility. And he'll come again in full glory, renewing the world as his kingdom of peace. And we're going to get a glimpse of this in Isaiah 11. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the spirit of counsel and might, and the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what he, his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. 
and he shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, that's, that's the hope that we have. That that's what God is doing. That's what he's planning. That's what he's going to do. The only one who can renew and reunite all of creation and create peace in this world is the one who is anointed, the one who is, who is with the Holy Spirit. It's only one who can do that is Jesus Christ. And all these names that, you know, back here, back here when it talks about all these names, the majestic one, that's Christ. That's the Messiah. In verse 2, we get the, a catch of this glimpse of the Holy Spirit landing on Christ at his baptism. We see that. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. See, you and I, we have the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus didn't need that because he is God. He's both. They're already together. But the Holy Spirit rested upon him when he was baptized. We see that image in Isaiah. When the earth is full of the knowledge of God, the ugliness of our humanness is gone. It'll be wiped away. The family of humanity will be one again. It's going back to Eden. God is reclaiming Eden. He's reversing the Tower of Babel. He did that at Pentecost when the disciples began speaking in tongues. That's a reversing of Babylon, of the Tower of Babel. And now he's going to reverse everything that's happened and go back to Eden. The family of humanity will be one and all creation will breathe the peace of God. This is what it says in verse 10. In that day, the root of Jesse, which is Christ, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. It's Jerusalem. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. At this point in time, all people are gathered together. Not just the Jews, but all people are gathered together in Israel. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. Um, Ephraim being the northern kingdom, the ten tribes. They were always brothers and they were always fighting. But that'll end. But they will swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will
will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it with seven channels and he will lead people across it in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. It's describing a battle, the final battle. Final battle where Christ is victorious. And those that are opposing him will be destroyed. You know, the fullness of the kingdom of God is only inches away. All that stands between the present time and and that promised future is the command from the Father. Go. It's time. So we don't know when, but Isaiah and the Gospels tell us who. See, Jesus was rejected by all the top people and condemned by our system that we have here on the earth. But God raised him up to eternal life and he'll renew renew the world. This is the good news that we can embrace today. But the question is, will we? Or are we going to wallow in ourselves and in our fear and anxiety? We have a choice. We can truly trust in the Lord today, fully. And our lives, yeah, will still be hard. But we have a hope of this future that is coming. You know, we look back, we look back on on the the life of Christ and we, we look at the the events of his life, especially that last week, and pretty soon Easter's coming, and we really focus on that. Understand that that what occurred what occurred occurred that week had to happen in order for us to have what we hoped for. Sin had to be dealt with, and Jesus willingly came to sacrifice Himself for our sins. And that's the love that God has for us. Yes, his wrath was poured upon him, but his grace was also there. And that's what we remember as we take communion. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the What Rumble community. Also, consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.